in it, if we are open, you will meet us. We ask you, Father, would you meet us now in your scriptures? We ask you for more of your spirit. Jesus, you said the spirit reminds and the spirit teaches and the spirit strengthens, and we want that, God. So we ask you right now, remind us of truth. Remind us of your story. God, remind us of our story and how they intersect. Father, teach us what we need to know today, and we pray that you'd strengthen us as as people who are living a new life and who are no longer dead, but alive, as Kevin said, alive in the Spirit. God, we want to experience that and not just talk about it. So we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, more of you as we learn, as we grow. Would you change us a little bit right now? By your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to cover the whole chapter, chapter 3. So obviously we won't dig into everything, but there's some really wonderful things here for us to see today. So let me begin by reading. I'm reading from the NIV, and it says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When this beggar saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. So it's going to get intense. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened to him. Wow. Did you catch that? Are you picturing it? Are you imagining it? Does anyone know someone in your life who you have known for a lot of years who has a particular restriction on their life or who is not, was not born uh, as you know God intended them to be, fully developed or healthy. Anybody know anybody like that? I know of a man who wasn't born this way, but he goes to a, a church in town called Bridgetown. His name is Peter, and he is an elder at that church. And Peter has arthritis, and his hands are very gnarled up. Peter's a wonderful pediatrician and a doctor and just a tremendous man of God. He loves Jesus deeply. But whenever I go to his church, Peter always worships God raising his hands. And I see Peter's hands. And I'm so moved by the fact that a man who is suffering somewhat from the brokenness of sin and disease worships God like that. But when I see that, I just say, oh God, wouldn't it be cool if while Peter was worshiping you one Sunday those fingers just opened up and just were able to go like this, right? 
And everybody in the room who knew Peter, if they caught it, would look over and see that and go, look what just happened. Did you see Peter's fingers? They're opened up. And Peter, I'm sure, would start leaping and jumping and praising God, right? And Peter's in his 70s, but I'm sure he would find the energy to do that. But that's what's happening. This is a man, this hour of prayer was something that happened every day in the Jewish tradition. So this man was seen pretty much 300 days a year by everyone. And he actually has an identity. He doesn't have a name. We don't know his name. He has an identity. What's his identity? What's his spoken identity? Lame. The lame beggar. That's how you would refer to this guy. You wouldn't know that that Peter was Peter. You would say, that old guy with arthritis. His identity was, re- was literally his brokenness. That's how he was remembered. Hey, you know that guy who sits by the beautiful gate, the lame one, you know, who's always begging for alms? This is his identity. This is what he's known by. And notice that he is willing to live by that identity because it's been true of him all of his life. His brokenness has become what you refer to him by, and he has accepted it. So he's not asking anyone to pray for him to be healed. He's just asking for money because he's settled into a plan B for his life. Plan A would be to have healthy legs and to be able to work and to be able to walk into the temple and worship. But beggar man never makes it into the temple because he can't walk. And instead, his life is occupied outside of the worship of God, settling for plan B and saying, this is who I am. So do you see the, the richness and the beauty of what, is, what happened this day? So Peter says, I don't have the commodities of your plan B, but what I do have, the name of Jesus, I offer you actually plan A, get up and walk. And then he does this beautiful thing of extending the hand, because imagine the beggar's um, hesitation, because <laughs> he's probably already prayed. In his lifetime, he probably prayed to be healed, and he probably had other people pray for him, and it's just never happened. And so when he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, I would imagine he would hesitate. And Peter, out of faith, says, let's not hesitate, and he hands him his hand, and he stands up. And then he realizes, I can do this. I can do this. I can stand up. I can jump. I can praise God. I mean, just imagine the moment, right? And all these people who know this guy, and they're walking by him, they start to look around, We know who that is. And did did you catch this? Listen to this part. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging. His identity got changed in five minutes. Hey, isn't that the man that used to sit begging? A whole new identity. So why does this one story matter? We're talking about the history of our witness. We're talking about epic miracles and movements of God throughout history. Why the story of one man and this miracle? Because this is how Jesus reveals himself, through individual people, through an individual life that is known by a certain amount of people around them. God loves to do what he did in Acts 2, where he filled an entire church and a congregation with power and with a miracle, and a lot of people saw that. But chapter 3 is here to tell us God also wants to witness and work through people one at a time. And in our lives, we settle for a plan B. And we become okay with some degree of brokenness in our lives. And we are okay to say, well, that's just who I am. 
That's just who I am. I'm just timid and fearful. And I've always been timid and fearful. And that's just who I am. And that's okay. But, but if this is true, not just for this man, but for all of us, God is saying, yeah, that's not my plan A. My plan A is for you to be fully alive as I created you to be. My plan A is for you to not live under um, lesser ideas of your identity. Not under the identity, well, I'm the shy one. Well, I'm the, I'm the timid one. Well, I'm the, I'm the middle child. I'm the invisible one. <laughs> Those are identities that we give ourselves and that people give us. But God wants to give all of you an identity that is identity of someone fully alive. The other thing I think that we live by, and that as I hear your stories and I get to know you guys a little bit better, we tend to still live by identities from our past suffering, just like this guy. He was living under the identity of having suffered being born with deformed legs. And that's his identity that he took with him everywhere. And you and I, in our histories, we've, we've been wounded. We've been wounded by family or by friends or by choices that we've made about our lifestyle. And some of you have been wounded in churches by leaders and by other Christians who have certain expectations Uh, But as you tell your stories, I notice that we still have some identity there, and we're still letting plan B be alive in us. And we're not saying, Jesus, could you get me back to plan A? Could you get me back to a place where I trust, back to a place where I'm hopeful, back to a place where I fully believe and I don't doubt anymore? That's where God wants us to be, and that's the hope. As, as humans are maturing around the world, we are all being reformed and re-identified by our story. And unfortunately, the story of humanity until Jesus returns is kind of going downhill. We go downhill as individuals. Uh, my gosh, I feel that. <laughs> less energy, less hope, potentially. Uh, we, we continue to decline as societies. And so although technologies are increasing and science is increasing, the goodness of humanity might not be increasing. I don't know what you think. But it just seems like if you look back a generation or two, character was better. And now character has diminished. And uh, am I alone in that or kind of going on, Right. And this is where Jesus is calling us to be countercultural, and and to say no to Plan B. Plan B is the life is the way it is. Humanity is the way it is. Is when I was young, I thought it could change. I realize now that I'm old, it can't. I'm going to give up, and I'm just going to try to survive. I'm just going to make it okay for me and mine. And that's kind of where all of humanity goes, and we become a little less hopeful. As children, we had dreams and ideas. And we imagined world peace, and we imagined everyone liking me. And then our history says, that's ah, not going to happen. In fact, life sucks, and life can be tragic. And here's some tragedy for you. And God is here to show us and to lead us to be going in the other direction. So as humanity flows towards breaking down and towards becoming less, God calls his people and he gives us power by the Spirit to go the other way and to say, no, 
I'm not going to give in to diminishing life. I'm not going to give in to an identity defined by the wounds in my life or by the tragedies in my life. I am going to live out of an identity of God's goodness to me, and I'm going to walk in and leap and jump and praise God. That's what I'm going to do. And, And I know that this is what God is calling us to, to not just kind of go along with everybody else. This is life in America, and I bought a house, and I'm having a kid or two, and, and I've been wounded and hurt, and so I'm kind of timid now, or I'm fearful, or I, I live with tension and bitterness, but that's okay, because it's my history, and that's just the way it is. That's life in this country, and so I'm just going to keep going. And I, I hear Jesus saying to us in this passage, and I hear the Father saying, I've given you the Spirit to not do that. I've given you the Spirit to be alive. I've given you the Spirit to keep hoping. We can be wise and realistic, realizing some things will never happen. But does that mean nothing will ever happen again that we might hope for, or that might be good, or that might be amazing? Or are we stuck in mediocrity? Is this just the way it's going to be? That's the way so many of us believe. There's such a unique piece in this story. This man is begging, and he's kind of doing his typical thing. And Peter and John say something really unique. They go up to him, and they say, look at me. Look at me. Why? What's that about? We have to be called out of kind of a stupor that we all live in kind of a business-as-usual, head-down stupor. And John and Peter wanted to say, today is going to be a very different day for you, and I want you to pay attention. I need you to pay attention. I need you to engage with me because what I am giving you today is something unique and something different. And you can't just keep your head down and ask for money because today is going to be a different day. Look at us. Look at us. And then when they look at each other and there's this moment of paying attention and engaging, Peter's able to say, in the name of Jesus, I say to you, rise up and walk. Now, one problem, I don't find this happening in my life. I've been to Peter's church and I've watched him raise his hands and I have prayed with tears, Father, why not tonight? Why not during this worship service, would you please open Peter's fingers? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, open up Peter's fingers, please. <laughs> and he doesn't do it. Like, ah, what's wrong? How did Peter and John have this faith and confidence? You know what the answer to this dilemma is? I don't know. I'm asking you, <laughs> do you know? <clears throat> I'm not sure what to do with that. I wish I could nail this down. I wish I comprehended when the Spirit works and when the Spirit does it. I wish I knew when healing would happen. I wish I could say to you that God has told me that today three people are going to be miraculously healed, and you're in this room. And I'm going to call out your names, and I'm going to say, Brittany and Philippa and Marlene, come up because Jesus has a healing for you. That's not working that way for me. And is it working for that way for anybody in the room? Because I want you to get up here right now if it is. No. So I don't know how that works, but here's what I do know. I know that Jesus is still working miracles inside. 
I know that he is taking away fear. And I know that he's taking away panic. And I know that he's giving peace. That I can guarantee. I know that he's helping us understand things that have been hard to stand, understand. I know I've watched some of you as you've struggled with hardships or you've struggled with the loss of a job or you've struggled with something that's not what you hoped for, and I'm watching your, your perspective change and become hopeful. I'm watching you not be identified by that brokenness. So those are the miracles that I can be confident about right now. I hope for the other ones. I would love it if Colossae Sherwood became a context where people in Sherwood could come to church and know that if we go there today, a few things are going to get healed. That would be amazing. And you understand the power of the witness? You couldn't deny this man. Everyone in the city of Jerusalem knew who he was. They knew what his ailment was. And when it changed, everyone knew it. Now, again, I I don't know what to say to you about physical healing, but I know that people know you and I. And I know that they watch you and I. And the one thing I can hope in today is that you and I can radically be transformed inside. And people can see that. And they can know that, oh, yeah, this is the person who every time I talk to them, they talk to me about this this certain pain or this difficulty or this hardship in their life. But lately, I've noticed they're not talking about that anymore. They're actually talking about a sense of joy and hope that they have or something new that's coming on the way. I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm asking you is, could we allow God to work miracles inside that would be equally beautiful and transforming and that, that we would actually look and act differently because of the way that, that we are being affected by the power of God? I think this is already happening. I think that you guys are a unique bunch of people, tremendously hospitable and generally positive. But, but there, I think there's so much more that God would have for us so that when people at work are talking about what they're talking about with Kavanaugh and, and with um, poor treatment and attitudes of women and women that are not handled well in the workplace or, or paid appropriately, that we might have a, a slightly different take on it and a different conversation. And that we could actually be leaders in the workplace or in the coffee shop or at school in these conversations, I find myself backing away from them because I don't want to engage in them and I don't want to be labeled in a certain way. But I I don't believe that's what it is to be a witness. I believe God wants to give us fresh words and fresh ideas and hopefulness that we could actually interject into those conversations and we could reflect something very different and very new that's hopeful and that's kind and that's loving and that's understanding that we would be that kind of a person, that they would know when Peter starts to open his mouth in the shop, we're going to hear something different in this conversation. Peter's going to have a different slant on it or some hopefulness or some resource in it. I think this is where witness needs to happen today. Our witness for Jesus is not going to happen in Facebook. Um, It's not going to happen in rallies and protests where we choose a side because right now our culture wants you to choose a side. One or the other, Democrat or Republican, left or right, progressive or conservative, pro-abortion or anti-abortion, pro-same-sex um, marriage or anti-same-sex marriage. That's what everyone is doing, and everyone is picking a side. And I want to say to you, I don't believe that's what God calls us to do. 
I believe we lead the sides alone, and we consider ourselves in some respects neutral, loving all people, not picking sides to resonate with or agree with, but instead loving both sides of every issue and the people on both sides of every issue. So we might need not to say too loudly where we might fit on that issue, because then you're going to get thrown into one tribe or the other right now. Instead, what if we were people who were able to lead these conversations in a different direction? What if somehow we were able to introduce a way forward or an option C, an option C to what's happening right now? And This is what I would challenge you to think about this week. What's option C in the culture and in the context where you live? Option A is progressivism. Option B is fundamentalism. Option C is something godly, something fresh, something hopeful, something life-giving, and not the same things. That's what Jesus did here. He offered this man option C. Option A was you have nothing for me. Option B is you have some money. Those are the two options with relationships with this man. I'm the lame beggar. You either give me money or you don't. Option C was, and I believe Peter and John looked into the face of God And they prayed, Father, what are you doing right now? What are you doing in this man's life? What do you have for me to give to this man? And I believe that God said to them, Today, Peter, I give you the power to heal. And I say to you, pray for this man. And that's why he was able to say with great confidence, Look at us. I don't have gold. I don't have silver. But what I do have, the power to heal you, here it is. And that's the pattern and that's the practice that I believe God is calling us to in this passage is that we pay attention and that we look God in the face and we say, God, what do you have for me right now as I stand in front of this person? What can I give? And then in faith, we wait and we see and we listen and we say, Father, give me an, give me an option C right now with this person. Let me say something different. Let me do something different. Let me help lead them in a new moment and not just the same moments we had for the last year. Can we stop living in the same old moments? How many of you are having the same conversations when you go to work that you've been having for who knows how many days? How many of you are getting back together with family, reunions, holidays? You're going to go to Thanksgiving and you can almost predict most of the conversations. Gosh, aren't you tired of that? You know what? I think your family members are tired of that too. I think your coworkers are tired of the same old conversations. Jesus is inviting us to life that's new. It's not dull, and it's not empty, and it's not predictable. But we do have to pay attention to God. What are you doing? God, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? What do you want to interject in this moment that none of us expect? Would you do that? This is what the Holy Spirit is all about. We're called to be a different kind of people. Paul says you are a new creation in Christ. New is not predictable, not typical, and not option A or B. New is option C. New is life. New is hope. New is goodness. New is creativity. That's the kind of people we're called to be. Peter goes on to preach a second sermon, just like he did uh, in chapter 2. 
And that sermon is very much like the first sermon. And basically what he says in it is, you are living your lives head down, doing what you think is right. And what you thought was right was to actually murder Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's basically what his sermon is. You were doing what you thought was religious and correct, and you were going with plan A or plan B, this is what I want, and you actually killed Jesus. You actually killed the author of life. And then he says... Here's what you missed. God had a backstory for the last three years. And the backstory was that he had placed in Jesus all of his wisdom and his personality and who he was. And Jesus came, and we had our heads down, and we were just living life according to what we were thinking. But Jesus was following the backstory of God. And so amazing things happened. And then Peter, again, as he did last time, invites everyone present, would you come into this new story that God is writing? And would you learn the story, and would you walk in the story? And that's my invitation to you, again, and we've done this several times, is God is, is writing a different story for life on earth. And no matter where you're at in that story, if you fully get it, and you're walking in it, and you're loving it, and the scriptures are informing the choices you make, and the way that you talk, that's awesome. But if, if you're not, could we together take another step, even today, to abandon the typical predictable story and live in the new and fresh and life-giving and miraculous story of God. You're still going to go to work in the same place tomorrow, (laughs) or you're still going to stay at home with the kids, or you're still going to go to class tomorrow, but could we pay attention and look at God and say, God, what's the backstory to Monday? Where are you going to be and what are you going to be doing? And what could I say or how could I live or how could I change a conversation to be telling the backstory, which is really the story of life, that God is saying? Can I live in that story? I know you guys know what I'm talking about. But what I'm asking for is more and faithfulness and consistency. This is what I've been doing of late, and I am loving life like never before. And most of my day is awesome. And I'm old, so I get that. And you're young, and you haven't had as many years to practice. But, oh my gosh, God is present. God is working all the time. God is very close to you every day. And he's moving. And he's offering fresh thoughts. And he's offering love. And he's offering a different perspective on what you're experiencing. And he's wanting to say to you, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Pay attention right now. Because I'm going to do something really cool. And if we can do that, our days are going to be radically different. Little by little. But there will become purpose in even the most mundane spots in your life. And God will bring purpose to all of it and to every relationship. But we have to be in the story of God. And the story of God is not about money and gold and silver and commodities and goods and services. The story of God is about humans. It's about people. And it's about the people in your life. I invite you today to worship God with me around this idea that we have been resurrected like Jesus to a new life. Not a life of head-down mediocrity, but a life of heads-up, God, what are you doing, participation with the Holy Spirit. 
in everyday life. Let's invite that right now. Let's ask God as we sing some songs. Peter, go ahead and come on up. Uh, and the rest of you. And let's just ask God, Father, what does it look like to receive more of you? What does it look like to walk more fully in the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to walk in newness of life, to live in resurrection and not in mediocrity? Father, we, um, your word paints beautiful pictures. And we like what we're reading and we like what we're understanding. And Father, we believe a little bit that it is possible. And we ask you as, as we worship you now, to change our minds a little bit, to change our hearts a little bit? Would you heal us maybe a little bit from bitterness or fear or doubt? God, as we worship you, would you change us right now and bring us into step with your story and into step with you? God, we, we respond and say, yes, we will fix our eyes on you right now. Here we are, Jesus.